welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, where we discuss e-commerce issues and whether our guest today automated, delegated, or eliminated them and why. Your host is Will Christensen, co-founder of Data Automation. And again, welcome to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. I'm your host, Will Christensen. This, spo- this is sponsored by Data Automation. I am so excited. This is season two. As you may know, this is the season where we get in and we pick apart the founding stories of some of the automation that's been brought to the world in terms of SaaS products. SaaS is software as a service, and we have a very exciting guest um, on, on our on our podcast today. It's kind of a throwback to our episode where we had the employee number one of Gravity Forms on our on our podcast. This is another WordPress plugin that is very popular out there. And we are very excited to have Tracy Childers on our show today. Um, he is from Wishlist Member, um, which is a flagship product for a company called Wishlist that, that works on different software like this. So we're going to get into that a little more. Tracy Childers was a a frustrated online marketer who got tired of using complex, buggy software to run his online business. He decided to build his own. Today, we get to talk to Tracy about how a non-coder founded a SaaS product and how you've been around for 12 years. Because obviously, 12 years ago, there was no such thing as no code. All you could do was code. So I am actually really excited to hear about your story, Tracy. Thank, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Will. It's uh, I don't even know where to start. Every time you would say something, I was like, I have a thought here. I have a thought there. So uh, you could just lead me and tell me like what you want to, me to jump into, and I'll go for it right there. Love it. No, I love it. Tell me, what does your software do? Let's start there okay. for those who maybe aren't, aren't as familiar with uh, WordPress membership sites. Um, or, or, you know, the concept of even a membership site. What it, What is Wishlist Member? Yeah, that's a perfect place to start. So Wishlist Member is a WordPress plugin so that you can turn your site into a membership site. Now, whenever we say that, a lot of people get these ideas in their head and they say, oh, that means uh, I'm going to be collecting monthly payments. Uh, no, that's actually a monthly recurring revenue model. But a membership site is basically controlling a user experience by making them log into your site with a username and a password, and then you can control the experience. We have people that are using it in all sorts of different ways, um, like the one that I suggest with the recurring payments, but also some people are selling a one-time course. Some people are having a free site. They just want somebody to actually have to log in so that they're not putting information there out there where just anybody could stumble across it on their website. Beautiful. So membership sites aren't just about recurring revenue and charging somebody 50 bucks a month to get access to your content or to your courses or whatever. It could be literally as simple as if you pay us, we'll give you access to one course. So it sounds like, I mean, almost like a Kajabi almost where you're, you know, Kajabi or some of these different lessonly sort of sites where you can, you can pay and do that. People are using wishlist member for that as well. 
Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring up Kajabi because, uh, like we said earlier, we've we've been at this for a long time. We've been around for just over twelve years right now, and I remember when Kajabi came on the scene, and the first time I heard about it is because a lot of my friends, you know, who are well-known marketers and had marketing businesses for a long time, started using it. And one of the things that I, I I said, what what is it about this system that I keep, why am I keep hearing about this? And there's a big, big difference between us and Kajabi. And Kajabi is a platform and they have a payment collection system and an email autoresponder. It's sort of an all-in-one inclusive marketing platform. And what they were very, very smart about was they were also uh, kind of a page builder at the same time. So they were creating membership sites. And then when I, I started buying them, and I still, I buy a lot of courses myself. And and I, I'll log in and I'm like, oh, they're running this on Kajabi. Because what they've done is they've made it very, very easy to build kind of a customer center and it, they pretty much all look the same and they, you know, they can tweak them and modify them. Ours is a little bit different because it's a WordPress plugin. You're actually building the pages with a page builder or WordPress so you can make it look and act any way that you want. So that's kind of the biggest distinguishing factor between us and them. They have a great system and it's, uh, it's great to see how, how big they've gotten to, you know. Yeah, I, I love, I think my favorite thing about the world of SaaS and, and the world of business in general is the co-opetition that exists, right? Our opportunity to operate next to and see how our competitors are doing things and in many ways learn from each other and everyone build a better product and and grow together to to make new and amazing things. So I, I love that. Let's Let's dive in here. So you've mentioned that, you know, you're as a WordPress plugin, you're able to basically make it so that they can put anything behind that login wall and look at that. Are there other things that differentiate you from other competitors? I know, you know, Memberium or or some of these other sites that I've heard of that do similar to what you do. What would be some of your biggest uh, differentiators? Yeah, good question. And it's interesting that you transitioned right into that about how we can learn from other people. And then you bring up Memberium because Memberium is a great uh, system and it also runs as a WordPress plugin, but their primary focus has been for Infusionsoft. And they also work with active campaign. So it's heavy, heavy on that side. So we had an integration with Infusionsoft for a long time. And then we built this other product that was specifically an add-on for Infusionsoft. And we were like going to market. And it was kind of a side project because, you know, Wishlist member was a a good bit bigger and uh, this little side project was a little bit smaller. And then they came out with Memberium right around the same time and that was their primary focus. And the reason I said it's kind of funny that you would bring them up is because uh, Micah Mitchell was the one who started that and uh, he's a good friend of mine. And so a lot of people see uh, the two of us talking together like at a conference or something and are like, that's just crazy that you guys could uh, be friends like that. In fact, we used to have lunch together like once a month uh, when I was living in Utah. So it's a great thing. So to get back to your question, Will, what makes us different? There, There's really, well, let me step back for a minute. 
there are some things that make us different from all the competition, like Thinkific, Teachable, you know, all these, uh, and Kajabis. Those are all like truly SaaS platforms where you put all your content on their servers and everything. Everything's there. Now, because we, we are a WordPress plugin, you can host your site anywhere that you want and you install WordPress, the free version of WordPress, and then you buy the plugin and you can control it that way. So now that's the big differentiator between us and kind of the SaaS platforms. Now, when you go and you start to look at and saying, okay, well, what are the other WordPress competitor, WordPress plugin competitors, right? So I'd say the biggest differentiation for us comes down to two things. Number one is the way we do integrations. And we have integrations. Uh, a lot of times when I'm meeting people and they're like, what is a membership site? And you don't even know where to start to tell them. You can imagine if you start and say, and it's a username and password, what that one simple thing can lead to is many, 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 many different things. And so our integrations are broken down into three categories, payment providers, and number two, email providers. And then number three is other services. And other services can be all over the map. And I think that one of the things that we're really um, getting a lot of notoriety is because we continue to do more and more integrations. And especially we're getting into more creative integrations in that other services category. And the final thing is if I dial back and I look at payment services, we deal with payments much differently than than most other plugins. Most other plugins are going to require that plugin to control the payment. And so it means that we're going to build out a shopping cart system. And then, you know, now you say, I want to charge that through Stripe or charge that through PayPal. We have both of those, but those are the only two where we really get involved in controlling the payment. Most of the others, we let people pay with the payment provider. And then after the payment goes through, then they send information to us on the back end, and then we control it that way. So it gives us a lot more flexibility in terms of who we can integrate with. That's awesome. So love love the the explanation of membership sites i think that gives everybody a really solid idea of kind of where you are and what the what the landscape looks like let's get into your origin story here how do you fit into the picture of founding this product as a as a non-coder tell us about uh, what that was like as a frustrated online marketer as you mentioned well uh let's figure out where i should how far back i should go in order to start the story um I'll, I'll, I'll dial way back since this, your, your podcast is mostly about figuring out the origin story. So when I went all the way back to when I was a young kid, I had a father who was an entrepreneur. You know, he went into the military, got out of the military and just like, man, I'm going to start being an entrepreneur. He had a job and the day he turned 30, he quit his job because he wanted to go start his own business. And so I didn't really recognize all of that way back then, but you know, it just had an impact on me, I suppose. But I mean, he was willing to do whatever it took. And so he had an opportunity. He was actually in the insurance business, you know, desk job. And then he had an opportunity uh, to be an investor or I guess a partner in an automotive repair shop. And so he had two sources of income. 
Number one was he was a partner, so partial owner. And then number two, he was the manager. And the manager is what I remember. So when I was a young kid, he would come home and the first thing he had to do is wipe all, you know, wash all the grease off of his hands with the special soap. And I just remember him and he just kept moving forward and kept moving forward until eventually he said, you know, I want to get more into real estate. And so he started buying houses and started turning them into rental houses. Then he started buying uh, the commercial properties. And so he got really good at real estate. And so eventually he started uh, teaching people how to invest in real estate. So now he was one of your early, early seminar speakers. He traveled all over the country and even overseas, Australia and different things, teaching people how to invest in real estate. And so that was all when I was still very young, I'm like 11 or 12 years old. And so I had an opportunity to get into using computers and things very early because I had this big title. I was the director of shipping. And what that meant was you do everything involved in fulfilling our products. So back then it was audio cassette tapes and I had a shrink wrap machine. I had an audio tape duplicator. And so then as you fast forward and I got into high school, uh, I was still doing that. And I was actually now hiring friends of mine to work for me so that we could have a higher level of output. I asked my dad, hey, could I get paid on our output? instead of our an hourly wage. And I realized at that point in time, that's the way that you can really make the numbers go up so that you're based on your performance, not, not your personal performance, but what you're basically selling. And he was looking at it as like, man, this is still a lot cheaper than I would have to pay getting them outsourced to a real company. You know what I mean? And so then uh, fast forward and I, I went into college and I wasn't totally sure what I wanted to do. And I ultimately, I knew that I wanted to get into business. And then I ultimately decided on getting a marketing degree. And it wasn't that I was just completely fascinated in marketing at the time. It just seemed like, yeah, this seems like, you know, stepping back and talking to him and what he had done it seemed like the most logical piece of the puzzle, understanding how the whole system works. And so when I got at the end of my college career, uh, I remember very, very specifically this one phone call that I made to my father. And I said, Dad, I'm about three months away from graduating with a college degree in marketing and I said, I know absolutely nothing about marketing. <laughs> and I mean, I was kind of freaking out, Will. You know that feeling? <laughs> and so what he said right then was probably one of the most impactful things I had ever heard in my life and still is. He said, Tracy, what you have done is you did not go to that college to get trained in marketing. You went to that college because that was the period of time you were in your life and simply finishing it, your degree is showing that you have the ability to uh, finish what you start. 
He goes, anything that you need to learn about marketing, trust me, you will learn it once you start doing it. And he was absolutely right. And so I kind of lived on that. And so it sort of broke down one of the barriers in my head that I see a lot of people like, well, I can't do that because I don't know how to do I didn't I didn't get trained for that. And it's like, well, you really you just have to start doing and you learn on the way. And so you also mentioned I have a software company and I'm not a coder. And so as I started transitioning into the business, you start to see, well, what are what are you interested in? And I was always interested in technology and working with computers. And then finally, when I really got into it and I really started working, actually, my dad and I started a business. I had some job offers and we started this business. And in that business, what I quickly recognized is the way that you have to run any business is by using a database to track all of your information. So now I started just really doing deep dives on how to use this database system that we had. And it was called FileMaker Pro. And uh, back then everybody's like Microsoft Access. And then there was this little company called FileMaker and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and Apple bought it. And then they went back out on their own and it's still around today. It's a great database system. But that basically taught me to understand the structure of how a database works together. And then... Uh, I started seeing things evolve on the internet and I just knew that I wanted to be involved in the internet. And now FileMaker Pro is kind of like building a program, but you're not writing code. Now I knew that thing inside and out and I actually developed some software when I was very young about for real estate investors, but it was all point and click and you could build the interface. And as long as you knew FileMaker Pro, you could do that. But now you get into the coding languages and I, and I thought, okay, this is, this is the next phase. This is what I need to do in order to get to where I wanted to go. And so I started really trying to learn how to do coding. And I found that there's really two types of coders. Uh, it's kind of like speaking a language. I, I know that, uh, I know I listened to some of your earlier podcasts and I know you speak Portuguese. So imagine if you and I had a conversation in Portuguese and you just started talking in Portuguese and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on, hold on. I got to get my Google Translate out. And that was basically me as a coder. So you got coders that are basically translating, copying code, modifying the code. And then you have other coders that they just do it like they're breathing, right? And so there, I kind of had this sort of an epiphany when I was at this conference and uh, I saw this, there was a speaker at the conference. I was always interested in speaking and, and I had done some of that, but it was, it was a conference for coders. And I had held this guy really high up because he just contributed to the community. He knew every answer. And then when I saw him speaking, I was like, wow, that's all he does is he's a coder. And I recognized, man, I'm not ever going to be able to do that. That That is just not me as a person. And I finally came around and was like, man, I need, I what I'm good at is recognizing what people need and what people want and what people are willing to buy. Now that kind of ties in with marketing, right? And I said, I just need to stick with that 
and find people that are just great coders and then just hire them and tell them what needs to be coded. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, I love I love what as you looked at your your journey there and you I love, I love going back to, you know, the audio cassette uh, duplicator and, and they were like, hey, dad, um, how about we do this on output versus by the hour because or by the tape, like, let, let's do it by the tape instead of instead of by the hour. If anyone here on this call is currently in a job where you have a, an opportunity to look at that and see, okay, what would it what would it mean if I were to go by the tape instead of by the hour? That that ability to go output based versus hourly is so powerful, or or or, or versus salary, it's so important to to recognize that key nugget there, everyone. If you can understand what it what it means to turn something into an outpaced output based business or an output based output based role, you're gonna see some really amazing things in your life that are gonna be fantastic. Uh, another thing that I would I wanted to pull out of your story there that I loved is as you began to look at okay, well, what makes me powerful? What where are my gifts? What is my gift mix, so to speak? As you looked at that, you said, okay, well, marketing. And I, when you mentioned that moment where you, you had that freak out moment when you were in college, you were like, I don't know anything about marketing and I've got a degree coming here. That's how I felt too, actually. I, I remember walking away from that and thinking, I've learned more about marketing in my job selling newspaper advertising for the statesman at Utah State University than I ever did in, in a lot of my classes. And, and so it was just fascinating to see that on the job training that would come. And I said the same thing to my dad. I was like, I, I don't even know. And he said, you were there to make the connections that you made, learn from the people you learned from and show that you could finish something. He, he gave me very similar advice. So 100% agree about college educations. And that's one of the reasons when I look at someone's like background and, and, and education, I'm just looking to see whether or not they finished <laughs> really yeah. like, like which degree they got into. It's not that important to me because the experience they bring later and the way that they tackle things is totally where it is. So I love how you then began and you looked at that idea of, okay, well, where do I go in terms of building this? Am I a coder? And you realized, wait a minute, I am never going to be that guy that I've looked up to for so long. I am the guy who finds problems and I bring people together to bring that solution. And I think that's really what an entrepreneur is. A lot of times an entrepreneur can be just somebody who's a coder, right? Somebody who, who knows how to make that widget, a shoemaker, right? That the shoemaker goes out and starts a shoe business. I think a lot of times it's a shoemaker who realizes, you know what? I am not the best shoemaker in the world, but man, do I know which shoe's coming out next and which is going to be the right shoe. And I know how to communicate that to the people around me. And so they learn to become a conductor. It reminds me of The E-Myth um, by Michael Gerber. And I love that book. I love how he, he picks apart this idea of the technician, the entrepreneur, and the manager. And he says, sometimes you're going to have that entrepreneurial seizure where you recognize, okay, I'm going to go start my own thing. And then you realize, oh, crap. In order to do this, I have to be a manager, a technician, and an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur being vision or forward focused, manager being past focused, and technician being in the now, do it now. So I love, I love how your story illustrates all of those concepts that we see in some of these business books and looks there. So what gave you the idea for this software? How did you go from, hey, you know what, maybe I shouldn't necessarily be a coder to wishlist member? 
Yeah, well, there's a there's a big gap in between that and where we got to with Wishlist member. Uh, I want to make a quick comment about the E Myth. Uh, man, if you have not read the E Myth, you definitely need to get it. I mean, it was the E Myth, and then it was rewritten E Myth, revisited. One of the key things that I, I has just had an impact, and I, I probably read the book like twenty years ago. It, and it was it basically came down to he's telling a story. And it's about a lady who has a pie shop. And at the end of the day, it's like, I don't even know why I have a pie shop anymore. You originally got into it because you were interested in baking pies. And she had all this experiences with her, I believe it was her aunt. And then now it's turned into a business and she hates baking pies now. So that, that part really, really stuck with me a lot over the years. And so now if you dial back and you say, okay, well, what, what brought us from there to wishlist member? So part of, I, I mentioned that I was uh, the director of shipping, right? And I was, I was shipping out these home study courses. And so, you know, my dad was paying me like, uh, you know, 10 to $15 a box of tapes, like, you know, and so if you had, if you did all the numbers and everything, basically the product costs on a home study course is much different than it is today because it's all digital, right? And so back then it was uh, six audio cassette tapes, a clamshell, and then you might've had another home study course and everything, but you know, you might've had like $15 in the product. And then they were selling these things between $500 and $1,000 a pop. And I can just remember seeing the people flood to the back of the room to buy these things because they were in demand and they needed that information. And so that entered the world of infopreneuring. And the idea that you could get paid not on the hard cost of the product, but it was based on kind of the knowledge that was included in the product. So then you fast forward and I, I did several different things. I actually, I used to teach, um, <laughs> this is funny. I, I used to teach people how to create their own home study course. And so I always had people joking with me. They're like, we have no idea what you do. Like you travel sometimes and you speak at these seminars, but nobody understands your job. And then I had one guy a really good friend of me, super, super bright. And he, he listened. He's like, I just want to know. And I explained it all to him. He goes, so let me make sure I understand this correctly. He said, you sell a home study course so that people know how to create a home study course. Is that right? I was like, yes, that's <laughs> it. it's simple. <laughs> but I, so I knew that I was interested in information, but then I also had this big passion with technology. And so I knew that kind of the next step was selling software was basically the same model as selling information. And I, I mentioned that I had created some products for uh, real estate and stuff. And I had already kind of seen that that was kind of a nice thing to do. I mean, I built the product and then I had a my cost was a, back then it was a floppy disk, right? And then it turned into CDs and, and all that. So then I got into, uh, as the internet started coming along, I guess the timing, you know, I, I attended my first internet marketing conference around 2003. 
and I was trying to figure out, okay, what, what am I going to sell? And then I entered into, Hey, there's people out here and they're creating software, but how do they, how do they do it if they're not coders? And so in, um, most situations, people would have to hire somebody that knew coding and stuff. And, but as the internet was exploding, the world just became a different place. Now, back then we were still very, very early on and there started to be these uh, websites where you could just go online and you could hire coders and you didn't even have to live near them. And so like Elance and the one that I use most of the time was called Rent-A-Coder. And so I would describe a project and here's what I need for you to do. And I'd have somebody uh, build the project and then now I'd have a piece of software. And so as, as you start going all the way to market to where that goes from idea to uh, reality of actually selling a product, you start to recognize, hey, this is not like, you know, brain surgery, but you're not ever going to find one person to do this whole thing for you. So I started understanding what it was like to do a get a process and I said, hey, I'm going to get a coder that can write the code and then I'm going to get a designer that can create a nice looking interface. And then I'm going to hire somebody else that's really good at writing technical documentation. And I started to say, hey, I basically established a team. And now I had never met these people face to face, but I just had enough work to them to keep them busy. And as soon as I'd finished another one, I was kind of doing something else. So it was just a, a really neat system. And then I some things changed and I, I started working with somebody locally here because they were, I mean, they were top notch internet marketer. And if I, if I said their name it was like almost everybody would know who it was, but I'm not going to say that, but he and I started working together and he was just like numbers and he wasn't just selling software. He's just selling all kinds of stuff. Right. But he was just a, a big, big picture guy, you know, like, oh, I, you know, I want to do, uh, you know, a million dollars a month online, but, you know, back then, this is like in 2006. And um, what I recognized is he was establishing full-time teams, not where he was just hiring people overseas, uh, people that had uh, full-time worked for him. So then you knew that you were going to get stuff done. It wasn't like, oh, this person's going to go missing. So I, I got to a point and I, some things transitioned and, and I was uh, decided that I was not going to work with him any longer. And it was time for me to go back out on my own. And I really kind of wandered in the desert for a little while. Well, like, I mean, it was, you know, six to eight months or nine months where I was like, what am I going to do next? I had already had another product, which is, video related and and I started saying okay I'll try this and I rec I, I started working with um some some of my friends that were very well known internet marketers and it was like hey this is great we'll be partners I'll do all the work and they'll kind of promote it but they were very very busy so it's kind of hard to get their attention on a little side project and then finally I was at a conference and I had had, I don't even have time to tell you this whole story, but a good friend that I had met named Stu McLaren, he and I met early on attending a conference and 
he and I started around the same time. He he initially started as one of my customers when I was selling a home study course. And he and I just developed a friendship and he was just like wicked smart and very driven. He was about eight years younger than me. He just had a drive that just would not stop. And then I was at a conference and now he's a speaker at the conference. Like he had really done very well. Like he had, he had a course with uh, Russell Brunson where they were teaching people how to run an affiliate program. And I told him what I had been up to is like, man, I actually have this full-time team now. And it wasn't a big team, but I got people that work for me right now. And I said, I'm looking for my next idea. And he said, man, uh, we need to talk. He goes, I have a ton of ideas. And he was hungry and he was ready to focus. And so that's what brought us up to the next the next point. And so I'll, I'll tell you more about that in a minute, but I want I don't want to be talking all in case I said a bunch of stuff that you want to ask me about. No, that's that's awesome. So so this idea that you you got in there where you you looked at okay, now that I've got an idea, I've got a team, I'm looking at my resources, I'm trying to understand where that would go. I love what you're talking about and you started to network and see some of these different opportunities. And you said, okay, well, I have this resource. I, lo I love your analogy, by the way, of wandering in the desert. Oh my gosh, that is so valid and relevant for, for that time of like, okay, well, what's my next product? What am I going to build? And I love that you were building courses for other people <laughs> to build courses. Um, it, it, you know, it's just fascinating to see how the world turns. And I'm loving kind of the retro look that we're taking at info products. I mean, I mean, your father, like you mentioned, he was one of the first and he was out there doing seminaries. He's out there to, and, and, and shipping audio cassette tapes and selling them for $500 to $1,000 a piece way back when. That Just fascinating the, the, the realm that it's opened up. I would say that today in our economy today and what's going on, there has never been an easier time to get into the realm of selling information of of taking taking and saying okay what do i know and what do i know that could propel other people into their next phase or their next journey and, and i would say that there's probably no one on earth who pro who couldn't really look at some of the expertise that they've come into and figure out how to productize that and build it that's powerful man i totally a hundred percent agree with your statement there's never been a a better time and I've been saying that for a long time, like all the way back until, you know, like even 2006 or so. It's never been a better time, never been a better time because it keeps getting better and better and better and easier. And then all of a sudden we hit the global pandemic and it was just like, <laughs> boom, just skyrocket. And so I know, you know, companies that are like just the whole online course space I mean, literally anything that you have a bit of knowledge, I think it actually goes way back to Gary V's original book called Crush It. And he was just, he talks about like down to the niche, you know, like because you have this expertise and you're not really competing with everybody out there. So it, it is a, a phenomenal time. So here's, here's what got us all the way to, to that point. I mentioned that I had another product and the product back then it was called FLV producer. I had a, I had a good friend, Armin Morin, still a good friend. 
um, and he had this line of software products and it was generator. Everything was generator, generator, ebook generator, uh, e-cover generator, 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 you know, right. And so then I was like, okay, well, I kind of wanted to be something like that. And so my line was the producer. And so he and I partnered up on my first product, which was called a screen cam generator, which went under his label. It was very similar to Camtasia back then. And then I ended up doing my own and it was called the FLV producer. Now, FLV, if you're listening and you don't know what that stands for, there's good reason. It's called Flash Video. And back then, it was the standard in online video because right around 2003, everybody was in this race. How do we get online video? And it was when people were starting to get more and more connections, uh, faster connections, and kind of like 2004, is when online video really hit the scene and that's, I had this product. And here's what I found, Will. I was looking to solve a problem and that problem was how do I put video online? It was like, well, do you do it in QuickTime movie format? Is it Windows video? And I finally realized, oh, flash video because it's installed on like 98% of all computers. And so people started to agree, flash video is the way to do it. And everybody was doing it with this piece of software that was called Sorensen Squeeze. And what I kept finding was everybody was saying the same thing. Man, that's a really good product, but there's two problems. Number one, it's really complicated to use. And number two, the video players just look terrible. So now you've got a solution to a problem, which now brings up two more problems where they're not doing a good job. So I was like, aha, here's an opportunity. So I got on Rent-A-Coder and I built a product that would convert the video into flash video. And I made an interface and the interface is very simple to use. Very, very simple. And then we had all these different output players and it was the dawn of people making all kinds of video players. And so it really took off and I did really well with that. And then I went back to where we were at in that story. And so Stu said, hey, we ought to partner up. And at that time, WordPress was really taking off. This was in 2008. And I know you remember all this because your interview with David from Gravity Forms. And so we were actually at that same point in time with them, some big differences. Stu and I came from a world of marketing and a lot of these other guys came from a world of coding and the WordPress world. And so what we found was nobody really knew that WordPress was going to be as big as it was. You know, there were some other things, Joomla and Drupal, but by and large, WordPress started just screaming and ahead of everybody. And we're like, man, we need to take uh, note of this WordPress thing. And so everybody also was now talking about recurring revenue online through a membership site. And so there was another product out there. There were really two core products. One was very expensive and it was a SaaS platform, kind of like what we talked about with Kajabi, Teachable and all this, but it was like $4,000 to get set up and then like $150 a month or something like that. And then there was another product, which is still around. It's a great product called A-Member. People still use it. But for the most part, A-Member was a script. 
you had to upload this script and it protected HTML files. And they're like, everybody's moving away from HTML files. And then, so they figured out how they could make a member work with WordPress, super complicated. And Stu was actually trying to set this up for his site. And he was just complaining and he's like, it's just too hard. And I was like, well, if, why don't you just make your own? And he goes, I'm having a hard time setting this one up. And how would I make my own? I said, well, I have a team and we could build it and we could go in on it together. And he's like, let's do it. And so our initial idea was for him, he was building this membership site so that he could answer people's business questions. But then we were like, okay, let's build this product. But you see the very same thing existed as what happened when I was building my video product. Everybody was saying, I want to do a membership site and I want to do it in WordPress and I want to do it easy. And at that time, there were not any serious plugins. There were, there were a couple out there and they were free and it was free and, you know, the, the people couldn't really support it, you know, cause it, they were doing it on the side. And so we just were there kind of, and so we were really one of the first into that market and also one of the first uh, premium plugins. Back then, I know you mentioned uh, Gravity Forms, and uh, I remember seeing them come out, and and we were all just trying to trying to figure some things out, and they were they were way ahead of us in in certain areas, and then we were we were ahead of them in other areas, and we had some challenges though, and uh, I could talk about that in a minute, but I want to pause again. Yeah, no, that's great. So so. I love that you the the real moral of your story here I think is recognize who you are and what you're good at. So as we're titling this episode, recognize who you are and what you're good at and be ready for the opportunity to strike. Because what you boiled down to if, if we go all the way back to the very beginning, the director of shipping. If we go back to the very beginning of the director of shipping, you understood this key concept of delegation, I love automate, delegate, eliminate, right? You, you understood this key concept of delegation to create real wealth and value. And then as you began to grow and recognize that, you started to see the trends in the industry for where things were going. And you chose to go after this info marketing, info entrepreneur realm and then you were like, you know what, this coding things got there. I'm going to build a team around that. So you were poised and ready and listening for opportunities in the marketplace that could become a real output. And I love, I mean, you could call yourself a, a serial entrepreneur very easily because of the many different things that you did as you began to do that. But you were ready. When Stu came and said, hey, look, I have got this major problem. You said, I got, I got a solution to that problem in my back pocket. I know exactly how to build software products. I've been doing that already. I've, I've already seen where that goes. And now I can take that to the next level. And it tied back into all of your experience with the info side of things. That's so powerful. So know who you are, know that you're not necessarily a coder, or maybe you are a coder and you need to find somebody who's not. Or know that you're neither, you're on the customer service side of things, and you want to get into that nitty gritty, and you need to find a visionary and a coder, right? So, so think rocket fuel, think integrator and visionary, think where, where is it going to take, what is it going to do for me to, to go out and look at this? I love, I love where you went with that. So as you, 
began to do this two questions and I'm going to weave them in together. How did you overcome the difficulties and what were some of those major difficulties that you saw um, in, in growing the company? That's a very good question. And, you know, I want to take a moment to say, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts too, you know, and uh, not just podcasts, audio books and webinars. And a lot of people are, you're just looking to learn. And I love what you're doing with your podcast because you're sharing the stories, but there is a sense where sometimes you'll listen and you're like, man, I wish my life was that easy <laughs> and everything would have gone the way it went for them. But the truth is, a lot of times there's a lot of bumpy roads, you know. I mentioned uh, Gravity Forms and, you know, certainly they were one of the early premium plugins. And like what I said, they they had some direction that they were headed and we had kind of a, a different direction that we were headed. We did some really dumb things that we just didn't even know. And pretty quickly we became like, I don't know, you know, I've actually heard people call Stu like the nicest guy on the internet. Like this is a long time ago, but it, I was like, Hey, what about me? Right. But by and large, both of us really nice guys, but suddenly we kind of turned into the bad boys of WordPress. And, you know, I had some good friends and and Carl, who who's um, Carl Hancock, the founder, one of the co-founders of Gravity Forms. He was attending a conference of ours. We invited him as a guest and A.D. Pinar, who was one of the original founders of, of Woo Themes and Corey Miller, who started iThemes, you know, we were all there and Corey became a good friend. And he said, man, it, you're, it, you guys are starting to get this bad reputation in the WordPress space because we weren't really looking at it as a WordPress. We were looking at the opportunity is membership sites and we want to be membership sites everywhere. And we're more focused on info marketing and marketing and a lot of people at the time that were buying Wishlist Member, they didn't even really know what WordPress was. Like we actually had to train them. Here's how you install a plugin. Here's how you create a page. Here's the difference between a page and a post. And these guys like Matt, you mentioned Matt Mullenweg way back then, who was the original founder of Automatic and, and uh, still leads it and everything. I thought, you know, this guy's super young. What does he know about open source technology. Well, the truth is now, if you really look back into history, like he was, he was just a true visionary, right? And I didn't even really recognize it. So when I say we made some dumb mistakes, we did what's called obfuscating our code. And so there was what's called um, encrypting your code, where you have to have uh, a piece of software to decrypt it. And then there's obfuscating, and obfuscating is like, if you're a really good programmer, you can unlock it. And so we weren't, we weren't trying to like hide everything, but we were thinking of the software. Every piece of software you ever buy has a license key. I didn't really understand what the uh, GPL and WordPress and the community was all about. And it took me a long time to figure that out. So at some point, there was this big debacle in the industry. And I said, man, we got to figure this out. And then we realized we cannot do that. We can't obfuscate our code. So we stopped doing that. We started following the open source. 
And then some people started looking at the code and they're like, your code is really not that great. And the reason why is we were building it in case we weren't going to run it on WordPress. We did build it from the very beginning to work with WordPress, but the long-term vision wasn't that it's always going to be a WordPress plugin. And that made us go a little bit slower. So it was a really big challenge. And so now as the WordPress community starts growing and growing and growing and everybody's like are you in our community or are you not in our community and we were kind of not and and i was like man i don't know why everybody hates us and i don't know hates a strong word but they weren't really happy with what we were doing and it was also the fact that people were selling themes that weren't a lot of people selling plugins so there wasn't a really good example of Here's actually what it what it is. And it actually took me till just recently to like start asking all these questions of high level people to really wrap my head around it. Well, and you think about Gravity Forms. I mean, that was one of the things they said is we were one of the first like only paid like there is no free version of this. And and I remember in the beginning of my days with WordPress I mean, I, I've, I've told the story on my other episodes, so I won't go too deep into it, but I literally sold my grandfather on the idea of not shoveling walks so that I could build him a website. He's asked me if I'd ever done that before. And I said, oh, yeah, I've done some of that. And I'd never really done any. I mean, I, I'd done some of it, so I could I wasn't totally lying about it, but I but I had to teach myself a lot of that. And I remember looking and I was always like, come on, where's the free plugins? And it's funny because I've matured enough now in my career and everything. I stay away from free plugins because I've, I've found out, you know, 10 years down the road, five years down the road, even a year down the road, it's a bigger headache than it's worth. I'd rather pay somebody 200 bucks a year or however much it is to maintain that plugin and keep it secure and all of the other things that, are, that go with that. So couldn't agree with you more. And it's interesting to hear. I mean, how could you have foreseen that you were going to be looked at as someone who who wasn't inside the community because at the time looking back on it, you're like, well, yeah, but you guys weren't that big a deal then. Like, <laughs> like, like WordPress was a big deal, but really let's be honest, you weren't that big a deal. And now because they're so ubiquitous, I mean, you couldn't have foreseen that. So, so I love the, the nugget there. Remember that we act on whatever information we have available to us at the time. And when we look back through our, our lens of, 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 you know, hindsight being 2020, I have to tell this joke. So this guy, this guy gets into, uh, sits in front of um, Professor Xavier, and he's interviewing to be one of the X Men, and uh, and he says, "Okay, so uh, Professor Xavier turns and says, so so what's your superpower?" And and he says, "I have perfect hindsight." And and Professor Xavier <laughs> looks at him like, "Wait, really, dude? That is not that great of a superpower." And the guy rubs his chin. I see that now. <laughs> I mean, really think about it. it we, we all really have fantastic hindsight. It's what we do with that hindsight that really matters. And so Tracy, as you looked at that challenge and opportunity, it sounds like you've jumped into the WordPress community full force and you're no longer one of the bad boys. Yeah, you know, that's because I've actually really made an effort. I love networking, right? And I've I've been going to internet marketing conferences for a long time. And a little over a year ago, I, I attended my first WordPress conference. You know, it was uh, WordCamp US in St. Louis. 
And man, it was kind of an epiphany for me to really wrap my head around what the WordPress space is like. I had been doing some, you know, a lot of research and I've gotten some good advice. Like one of my friends, Chris Lemma is, you know, an authority in that space. And he shared some really good things with me and Sean Hesketh from WP 101. Um, very, very smart guy. So, but you know, it's not until you go out and you really start asking a lot of people like what how does it work and what i found was it's still it's not like completely clear it's not like hey can you guys show me the textbook and here's how you're supposed to do the licensing and everything it's still just a little bit vague so you have to be out there and you have to start recognizing what's going on and so that's been really really helpful for me know what you do not know that's the key right there. Know what you do not know. And, and and how do you know what you don't know? You ask a lot of flipping questions. You look for that feedback from the community, from mentors. If I had one piece of advice to give to every entrepreneur, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the same opportunity, Tracy, as soon as I, as I share my piece of advice here, you're going to share your one piece of advice for for entrepreneurs that are just starting out. If I were to share one piece of advice, it would be find a mentor flipping fast. Like, like go out and find somebody else who's done what you're, go what you want to do. And, and I can tell you right now, folks, I am going to be reaching out to Tracy after this because I have an info product that I want to work on. So I have just formed a new bond and we're going to, we're going to have virtual lunch and, and I'm going to ask him questions about how he got there. And I'm going to, I'm going to look for him to be a mentor to me in growing that. But, but if you're looking to start a new business if you're looking to start a new venture, find a mentor flipping fast. Tracy, what would you say? What would what would be your one piece of advice for for the entrepreneurs that are listening? I love that, Will. That is a great piece of advice because that's a that's a method that's been true and tried throughout the throughout all time, right? The master and the apprentice, right? Um, I would say for me, the most important thing that I have learned is that in order to get paid you have to show up. And so if you think about that at your job, they're not going to pay you unless you show up. Now, as an entrepreneur, what does that mean? Because a lot of people are like, man, I'm here day in, day out, and I'm just not ever doing it. It's like, well, the concept of you showing up is actually execution. I've heard so many people talk about what they wanted to do and what they were planning to do. And then it just, it just never actually got done. The key ultimately is just execution. And the thing is, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. We've been building Wishlist member for 12 years. We did a whole rebuild. Uh, that's a whole nother story. Well, uh, it took us way longer. And even since then, I keep wanting to add more and more and more and more and make it better and better and better. But it's never going to be perfect. You have to at least get something done. Beautiful. Couldn't agree more. People come to me and they, they find out that I'm part of a tech incubator or that I've started businesses or that I actually have access to investors or that I invest myself. And people come to me and say, hey, Will, so I got this idea, but I'm not going to tell you about it unless you sign an NDA. And I just laugh. Because I, I said, do you realize that your idea is worth nothing until you execute it? I guarantee you, I absolutely get the one of the most disheartening things I do to these people is I open up my phone and I Google exactly whatever it was their idea. And I show them the five other people that are trying to do what they're doing. 
and they realize, oh crap, I'm not the only one that's figured this out. It's about execution, people. It is about understanding what it takes to get to that next step. And that's why I talk about that mentor. So Tracy, couldn't agree with you more. Don't let the perfection be the enemy of your progress, right? You know, it move move forward. Yeah, and I'll also say this, Will, when you said Google in that thing, if if you go back and listen to what we were just talking about, I wasn't reinventing the wheel. I wasn't the first company that had a membership site solution. I wasn't the first company to have an online video converter. And it's like many times you actually want to find out if somebody has a similar idea to you as yours to see if it's actually performing. You know, I had a friend that was teaching about membership sites and he had the the greatest idea. He's like, if you think that your niche is big enough to to sell stuff to people. He's like, here's one simple way of doing it. He's like, go out and see if there's there are any books or magazines about it already. And if there are, it means that are there are plenty of people that are willing to pay for that sort of stuff. You know, and it's like sometimes just coming up with the the most revolutionary idea, it's just it's just too hard. <laughs> I am writing that down. Is there a book or magazine? And and I would say you could add some other things to that, right? You, online communities, Facebook groups. If you can't find a Facebook group about the niche that you're wanting to sell to, you might be looking in the wrong niche, right? How easy is it to create a Facebook group? So so and maybe not. So so if there's not one, go create the Facebook group, slap some images in there, and see if you start getting people to join it, right? But but that's powerful. Tracy, we we are out of time at this point, but you have left some nuggets here that are going to be here for eons to come. I really appreciate you joining us and can't thank you enough for sharing your wisdom with us. Well, I appreciate you having me, Will. It's it's fun to talk about some of this stuff. And I feel like, man, I didn't even tell the whole story. So we may need to do a part two of this episode to, to get in and get in and look at that. Well, thanks again for for joining us. That's it today for our episode of Automate, Delegate, Eliminate. I'm your host, Will Christensen. And stay tuned as we see more opportunities for us to dig into more founder stories. We're going to ask Tracy to introduce us to some people that he'd like to hear their founder stories as well. So we're excited to let you in on more of the inner curtain of what it takes to become an entrepreneur and automate, delegate, or eliminate in our world today. You've been listening to Automate, Delegate, Eliminate, hosted by Paul Christensen. 